0: Thank you for for reading that, Anita. I've got a couple of questions for you. What is your idea of God? How do you view God? Do you think of God as an authoritarian? Or do you think of God as a vending machine? I'll take that and I'll take that. Well, it's my choice. Do you think of God as a parent? Or do you think of God as something else? Unfortunately, our idea of God is influenced by our own life experience. We may have had abusive parents, so we think of God as someone who is angry and violent. Maybe we think of God as someone who does not care because he lets bad things happen. I was thinking about this and I thought how parenting has changed throughout history. Some changes had to do with culture. Other changes had to do with necessity. When I think back to my grandparents' generation, we were told not to play sport on Sundays. And even the um, international um, sporting events, never played on a Sunday. So that was cultural but also because Sunday was a day of rest. And if they had a business and they had children, the sons were expected to work in the family business. The daughters were expected to learn how to be a homemaker, sewing and cooking and the like. When my parents were young, if a couple fell pregnant outside of marriage, there was a shotgun wedding. It's expected that by getting married would make an honest man out of you by taking responsibility for your actions. When my siblings and I were at an age where we thought we were old enough to leave home, we were told in no uncertain terms that this is not happening unless we're getting married. My parents did not want us to make the same mistake that they had made. So we all listened to this order and did not move out until we were married or in my case, when work took me or brought me to Armadaw whether it was out of respect for them or we just couldn't come up with a with a convincing argument, I don't know, but we dutifully stayed home. Jumping forward to the age where Adam was old enough to leave home, he told us that he was moving in with Jess. Now, that, sounds, that sounded alarm bells. Because of our upbringing, we tried to stop this happening, citing references from the Bible. And we did not believe that this was the right thing to do. But in the age of leniency, he disagreed and moved out regardless of what we said. I remember just before he he left for the last time, he told us he would slowly move his stuff out and we're expecting him to take another two weeks before finally moving out, but he secretly moved the time up. And while we thought we had time, he took his pillow and the rest of his stuff, and he was gone. Both Julie and I were in shock and and shattered and were in tears, not understanding what and why this happened. Had we not trained him up in the way of the Lord? Where had we gone wrong? But in thinking about this, not much has changed in parenting since the beginning of time. Once Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, the passage we read from Genesis 4 tells us that they had two boys, Cain and Abel. We read that these boys were brought up in the ways of the Lord. Cain and Abel both knew that they were to bring offerings to the Lord and God still spoke to them the same way he still spoke with Adam and Eve. Imagine how Adam and Eve felt when Cain killed Abel. But notice later in this chapter that God was still talking to Cain. Cain and God still had a relationship. But he realized that he would no longer have a relationship with God when God told him in verse 14 of chapter 4 of Genesis that Cain will be hidden from God's presence. The interesting thing is that God still looked after Cain by ensuring that he would not die at the hand of man the lord put a mark on cain so that anyone who found him would not kill him but we don't know how long cain lived after that now jump forward to the days of noah the passage that um, anita read in genesis 6 we read we we've, we've read that the lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. Why was his heart deeply troubled? Now let's think about this for a second. God created human beings for the sole purpose of glorifying God to have a relationship with God yet man's heart became evil man was only thinking of himself not god so if god created man in his own image he loved what he created god cherished his creation and desired to have a relationship with his creation now if you if you if you create something and it's good aren't you proud of that creation Don't you put it in pride of place? God's heart was deeply troubled because his creation, his image had turned their back on him. Man had become so evil that God wanted to destroy them, to start again. Now, obviously, there was one man who still had a relationship with God because we read or we've read in Genesis 6 that Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, And he walked faithfully with God. Now, the word blameless there does not imply sinless perfection. He was still a man. But notice that God extends the relationship that Noah and he had and his loving concern to Noah's whole family. As one commentary puts it, a consistent pattern in God's dealings with his people, underscoring the moral and the responsible relationship of parents to their children. Now, we all know the story of Noah. God sent rain that flooded the earth. Noah and his family, along with two of each animal, were saved in the ark. When the waters had gone, Noah and his family and the animals came out of the ark. God said in Genesis 8.21 that never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I, as I have done. So think about this. God regretted that his creation had turned evil and wanted to eliminate them, which is what he did, except for Noah and his family. Noah was in essence the second Adam. The human race was restarted with his family. Why? Because God loved his creation. You know, the underlying characteristic of God is love. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. We see that God wants a relationship with his creation, with you, with me. Now, let's fast forward to today's passage. There was a man who had two sons. Automatically, we know that we have a parent. He's got two sons. He can't be a parent without kids. The younger one said to his father, give me my share of the estate. Now, when I read this, my immediate response was, how rude. He doesn't have any respect or manners for his father. But really, we don't know the specific language that was spoken. Um, So we just read that he asked for his share. Now, in the Jewish tradition, the father might divide the inheritance if he had two sons into thirds, two thirds for the older son and one third for the younger The father would still retain the income from it, from the inheritance, until the father's death. But to give the son his portion of the inheritance upon request was highly unusual. In Israel, the oldest son enjoyed a double share of the inheritance and receiving a double portion of an estate was similar to or identifying with succession. In other words, the property would pass on to the son, the oldest son. Now, we know that the father gave his younger son his inheritance and we know that the son blew it on wild living, even though the father knew how it would end. So we're not going to go through all the details of the prodigal son. You know, you're most probably expecting um, a story about coming to Jesus and all this sort of stuff, and I'm not looking at that. I'm looking at the characteristics of God that is shown through the father in the story. So if we look at Proverbs 20, 21, it says an inheritance claim too soon will not be blessed. So the father knew what was going to happen. Young son, no wisdom, go to another place. We all know the the uh, the outcome of that. Proverbs 19.26 says, whoever robs their father and drives out their mother is a child who brings shame and disgrace. Now, our idea of God is formed from the way that we were parented. Sometimes it is formed from what we have experienced, but is also formed by what we have been taught. So I would like to present some of the characteristics of God that appear in these parables, and I hope you will have a different or clearer view of God when we leave here today. In Psalm 103 verse 13, we read, "As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. For He knows how we are formed, He remembers that we are dust." The Father in today's passage portrays the characteristics and attitudes of the loving Heavenly Father. Jesus portrays God as waiting for his son daily, searching the distant road, hoping for his appearance. The Father's compassion when the son returns, which assumes some knowledge, perhaps from reports of the son's pitiable condition, The father embraces and kisses his son warmly. The forgiving love of the father symbolises the divine mercy of God. The father loved both brothers, but he shows his joy over the younger son's repentance. Now, ultimately, God is holy. He is also moral. He demonstrates by example of how to be a parent. He's patient, not wanting anyone to perish without coming to him. He has compassion. He is forgiving. He has immeasurable joy when we come and have a relationship with him. He wanted us to enjoy him and glorify him or because he loved, loved all of us so much that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. No wonder Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So God is a God of love, who is holy, just, compassionate, forgiving. He knows our likes and dislikes. He shows us how to be parents and he shows us how to be sons and daughters. He shows us our morality. He wants a relationship with us. He's not a vending machine. He's not an authoritarian. But as Sam taught us last week, he is persistent. And he is diligent. He wants us to be reconciled to him. He is patient and he waits for us. He is kind and sent his son to save us. He is good because he is holy. He is gentle because he does not force his way. He has compassion because he provided an alternative to death. He is faithful because he kept his promises. He is love and he wants a relationship with you and me. I'll leave you with one more thought. If we love our children so much that we would do anything to protect them and to keep them from sickness and harm, how much more does God love each one of us. Has your view of God changed? Can I encourage you to look at how you view God and to get to know God in a more personable way? Let's pray. But I want to thank you, Lord, for the message that Jesus gave us in the parable of your love and your your characteristics, Lord, I pray that as we leave here later on today, that you will show us more of your character, of your personality, of your love, and that we will come to know you more. In Jesus' name, amen.